Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, uh, each one of us is conditioned in our childhood to respond to life in certain ways. And some of that conditioning is determined by our nature, what God has wired into us uniquely, our personality. And then it's also conditioned, we are conditioned by our nurture, by our environment. And it's interesting, I mean, the nature plays such a role because if you have, um, you can hang on to that picture there for just a second. if you have multiple children, if, if you've ever been in a family that has multiple children, you know how differently those children respond to life, right? They, they grew up in the same environment, have the same nurture virtually, but their, their natures are different. So some of that conditioning for us is really positive. It causes us to respond to life in really positive ways, but some of it is, is negative. And so some of you got a chance Last week, when Pastor Joseph and Rhoda were here from Lebanon, some of you got a chance to hear Pastor Joseph's testimony on Monday night. It, it is, it's really remarkable, and I won't be able to repeat all of it, but I want to just share a couple of highlights. One of the keys was that for him, as a seven-year-old, he began to be conditioned as a soldier, as a seven-year-old boy. He started, it was, it was the, the training that he was getting. It was kids that he was hanging around with. Now you can bring the picture up. And so um, he, was, he was conditioned in that mindset. And then the civil war in Lebanon created a situation where he actually became a killing machine. Like that, that was just part of his life, part of his conditioning. And so he has a remarkable, remarkable story of how God brought him out of that. But I I look at his life and I think, what if, I wonder if we could rewind his story and go back and change some of the details, change, change some of the influences and the people and the events of his life. I wonder if his story would have played out differently. No doubt it, it would have. I wonder if if you've ever wondered that. I know I have. Like, I've wondered, like, what would my life be like if I had been born into a different family or if I had had some different opportunity for for education? You know, we, we wonder if we could rewind and change the influences, change the conditioning, what our outcome, how our outcome might be different. No doubt some of you, some of you watching online, some of you here in the room, no doubt some of you have recognized some of your negative conditioning from your childhood and have worked really hard to to work to overcome that. Maybe you have worked on your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health. And if you've worked hard at that, I hope that you have seen progress in that. What I wanna do this morning is point you beyond anything that you might be able to do to change your conditioning. Because the God who created you 
and created you with the nature that you have, the, the wiring and the makeup, the personality that you have. He knows your history. He knows your conditioning. He knows all of the influences that have happened in your life. And he, he has provided a path for you that you could not provide for yourself to real life. He's provided a path to experience life in a way that we can't experience on our own, that the world, apart from God, has no idea about. He, he has provided a path so that you and I can know peace, and know a contentment, and know a confidence and a strength walking through this messed up world that is only available connected to him. And it reminds me of our key verse in Romans. If you've been with us since January, if you're, if you're new, we, we saw a verse back in January that is the, the key verse that Romans just unpacks, and that is Romans 1.17, a quotation actually from the prophet Haggai. The one who, you can say it with me, by faith is righteous shall live. And one of the neat things that we are seeing, one of the, it's not just neat, it's powerful, it's incredible. One of the things we're seeing as we go through the book of Romans is kind of the way this verse gets unpacked. We see that the one who by faith in Christ is righteous shall live in the spirit. So we're kind of getting more, so Habakkuk knew the one who lives by faith in God uh, and is righteous shall, shall live and the one who is righteous by faith shall live. Um, now we're seeing that that faith is not just, it's not just kind of a general faith. It's not just, yeah, I believe there's a God up there. It's a belief in Christ specifically. And then the, the path to life, to experience a fullness of life comes through the Spirit. To experience that new life in its fullness requires a reconditioning. For every single one of us, however, as great as your childhood might have been, it, it could not have been perfect because it was in a broken world. And so there's conditioning in you and me that we can't continue to live in if we're going to experience all the life that God wants for us. And so this morning, we're gonna explore how do we cooperate with God in the reconditioning that he wants to do in each of our lives. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter eight. That is where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, Romans eight is on page 1045. And if you are new with us this morning, maybe you came to Family Fun Fest and you're coming back. If you're new with us this morning, then you picked a great time to join us because Romans 8 is kind of like the, the pinnacle of the whole Bible. Like it just unpacks God's riches and how he wants to work in our lives in just deeply personal ways. And so we're actually spending more time in Romans 8 than we are in any other chapter in Romans. We're spending four, month, or four weeks, not four months, we could spend four months. We're spending four weeks in chapters 8. Today, uh, we're gonna see in the passage that we're looking at two action steps that we cooperate with God in our reconditioning. And I just need to tell you up front that I think I have something this morning to offend everyone in this message. This is an equal offensive kind of message. 
And so I'm just gonna encourage you to stick with me. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do, because I'm, I'm serious in that. I think I'm gonna get to a couple of points in this message where most everybody is gonna be like, oh, I, I don't know about that, and why is he saying that that way? Here, here's what I just wanna say. Before you shut me down, before you cancel me, okay, just evaluate and carry it with you for a little bit and see if what I'm saying is consistent with Scripture because you don't need to hear what I have to say. What I have to say is inconsequential. What God has to say is powerful and transformational. So if what I'm saying is consistent with Scripture, then process it, ask God to help you wrap your head around it, and we'll see how that goes. All right, let me just pray because I feel so inadequate to capture what's in Romans 8 here. So I'm just gonna pray again and appreciate Ken's prayer earlier. I'm just gonna pray for us again. Father, I trust your empowerment for me over these next moments as we look into your word. Lord, would you guide every word that I say? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And I pray for each person that's listening right now each person in this room, each person that's listening online, even each person who is listening later on on podcast or, or online. Lord, would you open up our hearts to hear from you because what you have for us here leads us to a life that I think so few people actually experience and yet you hold it out to us and make it available. Lord, may we not miss it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are zooming in and expanding on a verse that we read several weeks ago in chapter seven, verse six, which says, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So chapter seven is all about serving in the old way of the written code, trying to cooperate with God, trying to obey the law. Chapter eight is all about serving in the new way of the spirit. And so last week we introduced the idea of walking in the spirit, walking with the spirit as we go through life. Today we're gonna explore that even further. It's gonna become even more personal and practical. Let's read verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, and that could be brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul is here contrasting two spiritual forces that are very personal to us. Very, uh, at least one is very familiar to us. Our, our flesh and then the spirit, who he wants to become very personal and familiar to us. You and I will live each day, we will walk each day by one or the other. We will walk by the flesh or by the spirit. Paul says, if we live, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, what does that mean? Okay, what, what is he talking about here? Well, what he's saying is that much of what comes naturally to you and to me leads us to destructive outcomes. So 
in the wake of our natural inclinations, when we live those out, things die oftentimes. Relationships die. Opportunities die. And ultimately, if we continue walking in that, and God, we, we do not um, cooperate with God's intervention into our lives, then eventually we will die. We will be spiritual, we will be separated from God eternally. So we'll be separated from God in this life and then eternally. That's what living according to the flesh, we will die, means. The alternative, Paul says, is to live according to the Spirit. If and, he says, that part of living according to the Spirit is to put to death the deeds of the body. Before we talk about that, the... Walking in the Spirit, we, we, should, we should pause here just to say, this whole theme of Romans 8, walking in the Spirit, having God's very Spirit living in us is a privilege that I think most, if not all of us, don't fully appreciate or appropriate. I mean, the, imagine, I mean, just the immensity, what, what Ken highlighted there about God's power to create. Five, five words of you know, and he created the stars. Like, oh, by the way, he created like billions and trillions of, of stars. I mean, that powerful God, that loving God who loved us enough to become incarnate in Jesus Christ to walk among us, give his life in our place. I mean, he comes to live inside of us. That's remarkable. That's mind-blowing. And so most of us don't fully appreciate that, and then most of us don't fully appropriate that in the ways that Romans 8 is telling us. So we just have a lot to learn in terms of cooperating with him. I love this quote. One of you shared this quote with me uh, this, this week, and so I have to share this. This is from Dane Ortland in a recent book that he wrote. He said, the natural inertia of Christian life is to proceed out of our own resources, but it is backward. When you have a Lamborghini engine under the hood, it's odd to try to get your car going like Fred Flintstone, using the power of your own legs on the ground. I mean, that's the way a lot of us live our lives. I mean, we're trying to do the Flintstone thing. Some of you don't even remember what the Flintstones <laughs> are, but you know, Fred Flintstone, he's like putting his feet, yeah, he's trying to get his car going. Well, anyway, so we've got like a Lamborghini engine in the Holy Spirit living in us. And so we need to learn how to cooperate with that, how to live with the Spirit. And Paul says here in verse 13 that walking in the Spirit involves putting to death some of our natural inclinations. Verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here's the first of our two action steps in being reconditioned. Kill like a soldier. Now, let me be very clear as I say this, that I am not talking about killing people, okay? So nobody quote me or lift, lift a quote, you know, a snapshot out of this message. Um, we are to kill like a soldier, Paul tells us, because some things need to be killed in order for us to live. So I gave this example several weeks ago, but we, we think about cancer, and I know that there are several people dealing with cancer um, in our congregation right now. When you get a cancer diagnosis, we, we take that seriously, right? 
I mean, we, we say, what do, what do we need to do? Do we need to do surgery to cut that out of there? Do we need to do radiation? Do we need to do chemo? I mean, we take that seriously. And, and so we, we get busy and we, we take action. And then we garner support. Like we, we love and we need having people come around us during those seasons of our lives to support us, to, to make us meals, to drive us to appointments. And so we, we have the support system around us. We do all of that in this physical area when we recognize that there's something in us that is killing us because we need to kill it before it kills us. We do that in the physical arena. Why don't we do that in the spiritual arena? We take the spiritual things that are in our lives killing us way too lightly, way too casually. And Paul tells us we need to put them to death. We need to kill them. Paul, you'll remember if you've been here the last couple of weeks, Paul said that we are in a battle. And so he's kind of fleshing out the battle, if you will, as we, as we go along. Okay, so we've got old self. When, when we come, we're, we're born with old self. When we come to trust Christ for our salvation, for our righteousness, then he gives us a new self. But sin is constantly there, dragging old self down. And so there's this battle going on. And then as I've said before, we, we, we aren't even picturing on here the world and the devil that are trying to drag us down as well. But last week we saw the Holy Spirit introduced into this. And the Holy Spirit outclasses everybody else so that he gives us the hope. But it is, Paul says it's our job by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. There are things in you and me that need to be put to death. So another passage by the same author, this is from Colossians 3. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, Remember, we're talking about walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Once you, you used to walk this way when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Now, please don't rush past that line right there too quickly because he says, in these you too once walked. But he's still telling us, don't walk in them. He's not saying that's all past. He's saying that as, a, that as the general rule for your life, that should be in the past by now. When, when we come into faith with Christ, we shouldn't be just walking in all of these things and just giving vent to all of these natural inclinations that drag us away from God. That shouldn't be the general characteristic of our life. But he says, you, there are gonna be things that you, we still need to continue to put to death. And he goes on to say, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that, seeing that here it is, you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the ongoing battle. This is not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing, every day, every moment battle that we are to put things to death, to put off the old self, to put on the new self. So some things need to be put to death in order for us to experience life. 
Now, as we talk about this idea of killing like a soldier, some of you are probably resonating with that. Some of you are like, yeah. You know, maybe, you know, some of you guys who have a little bit more aggressive nature, okay, you're just like, yeah, that's right. We gotta put that stuff to death. And I don't know, maybe the hunters among us. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's other people too. But, but probably a lot of you, as you even like read this on the screen, you're shocked by this. And you're like, I thought it was a church. Wow, like this doesn't sound very church. This doesn't sound very loving. You know, this, this doesn't, I mean, this sounds violent. So for, for those of you who are responding that way, hang on, because there's a second practice for condition that you're going to like better, okay? All right, so just hang on for that. But I, before we leave this, I just need to say a couple of things. Our tolerance for things that are destructive in our lives is not loving. It's, it's actually ludicrous. It's actually crazy. Why would we tolerate things in our lives that are destroying us, putting us to death, stealing life from us? There's two things that are really clear in, in this passage about putting things to death. Number one, you can't progress in your spiritual growth to the extent that God wants you to if you're not putting things to death if you're not ongoing putting things to death. Because he says this in verse 12. He says, so then we are debtors, not to the flesh. Um, the NIV translates it this way, and this is a good translation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We are obligated, not to the flesh, to live according to it, but our obligation is, reading on, to by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. The second thing is, you and I can't put to death the deeds of the body on our own. It's only in the spirit. Don't miss that phrase in verse 13. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So this is not willpower. This is not self-effort. This is spirit power as we learn to walk with him and submit to him and obey to him. So what does this look like? Let me, let me just give you an, an everyday example that will apply to maybe some of you. Let, let's take worry, okay? Does that apply to anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. All right, so, so worry is, he, he's telling us to put to death the misdeeds of the body, okay? Here, here I go, offending you again. Worry is a misdeed of the body. Some of us just think, oh, I'm just a worrier. And, and you are, you know, you're a worrier. By, some of us are worrier, we're anxious by, by nature. That is a misdeed of the body. Now, I'm saying that in the context, please keep in mind, I'm saying that in the context of Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not saying worry is a sin to add to your burden. I'm just telling you that worry is not God's will for your life. And as you are learning, as you and I are learning to walk in the spirit more and more and more, we should be worrying less and less and less because we are trusting him more and more and more. So how, what does it look like to put worry to death? Well, it starts with declaring war on worry with identifying it, if, if this is an issue for you, of identifying it, this is an enemy that needs to be put to death. It's not something I tolerate. It's not something that I say, oh, it's just the way I am and I can't change it. It's, it's, we, have to, we have to say, no, I'm called to put this to death. So first we have to declare one and we have to get serious about it. This is like a cancer in me. It's stealing my life. 
and God's giving me the power to put it to death. So, so here's the second thing we can do, is to plan an alternative to worry. There actually is a different way that you can use your brain than when you're worried. You're, you're, you, what is happening is we are allowing our mental real estate to dwell on some future thing that we're worried about or some current situation and we're like, oh, I don't know how this is gonna turn out and we just turn that over and over and over again. There are alternatives, there are other things that you can think about. Trade, here, here's what I would suggest, trade worry for the word. Trade your fixation and your repetition of your worry about whatever your situation is to saying what what promise has God made that specifically addresses my, my situation? And, and then dwell on that. I'm not even gonna give you an example for that because you gotta do some work on this yourself, okay? All right? So you need to, as you're reading on your own or as you're, maybe it was one of the verses that we shared during worship time this morning, you need to grab hold. When God speaks to you through a verse like that, you grab hold of it. Write it on a three-by-five card. Make wallpaper for your phone so it comes up every time you turn on your phone. Make, make your phone actually useful and make it actually like point you to the Lord. So we, we need to be filling our minds, plan ahead so that when those worrisome thoughts come to you, you have an alternative. You have an alternative place to go and you're going to God's truth. And then get yourself some support. And if, if, if your war is on worry, Ask a friend, just tell them, tell them this, this is what I'm tackling and, and would you pray for me? And, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna commit myself to say, here, here's what I'm doing, here's the verse or the verses that I'm gonna come back to and be filling my mind with. This is how we put things to death in our lives. Maybe for you it's not worry, maybe it's coveting, maybe it's ego, maybe it's lust, Maybe it's abusing alcohol. Whatever that is, fill in the blank. And don't try to tackle everything. Tackle something. Ask the Lord, what what is the most important? What would make the biggest difference in my life, in my life, experience of life? And I'm sure he'll make that clear for you. That's the first practice for reconditioning. Wow, okay. Um, I'm gonna have to move along here. Kill like a soldier. There's a second practice, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this off because we're not constantly always fighting, but there's a second practice in verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the second practice for us is to cry out like a son. We don't just kill like a soldier, but we cry out like a son. Let's talk about the word cry for for just a moment. The the Greek word is kradzo. We get our word croak from that word. And that's, this is not croak back to dying, because that's, that's an idiom. But croak is kind of like, so, sometimes that's the best we can do in our prayer. Sometimes, have you ever come to the end of yourself and your energy so much that all you can do is kind of croak something out? This is not talking about a war cry. 
This is a weary cry. This is a wounded cry. This is coming to God crying out. This is not a dignified prayer. This is a desperate prayer. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. It's really, really fun to look, and we don't have time to look at all the examples, but a couple of examples of crying out in, in the New Testament. So one of them is in the scene when there's a storm on the sea, and Jesus is walking on the water in the midst of this storm. And the only time they're seeing him is like when, you know, lightning is flashing because that's the only light that they have. And they're seeing this figure coming towards them. And so they're terrified that they're going to die. And they're terrified that this looks like a ghost coming towards them. So it says that they cried out in fear. And then Peter, then Jesus arrives at the boat and they see who it is. And so, and then Peter is like, okay, if it's really you, would you tell me to come to you? And, I, and, and walk to you. And so he walks on the water as well, but then he looks around and he sees the waves, starts to sink, and he cries out again. This, this crying out that Paul is talking about here, this is not, yeah, the, the dignified, proper prayer, we're saying all the right words, King James, English, thee and thou. I mean, this is not what this is. This is, I'm sobbing, or I'm, I'm just from the depths of my soul. I'm crying out, and I'm crying out as a son with his father. I think Paul is intentionally recalling Jesus in one of his most desperate moments in Mark 14, says when Jesus in the garden the night before he's crucified, going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus calls God Abba. And, and Paul says, we can call God Abba. Abba is this deeply personal, affectionate term for God. We, we might compare it to daddy. It's, it's not a formal father. It's, it's just the casual, it's the familiar, it's the loving daddy. And, and Jewish people would never, probably still would never use this term for God the Father. Jesus introduced this as a term that we can use for God the Father. Jewish people would only ever use this in their home for their earthly biological, for their father that was raising them. They would use it affectionately for their father, but Jesus uses it for God the Father, and Paul says we can use it too because, because we are adopted now into his family. We have the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, by whom we croak sometimes. God, Abba, Father. See, this is calling out to God in, in our pain. I mean, you, you realize, don't you, that it's in our pain that God becomes the most personal. I mean, Maybe you've heard someone say, I look back in their life and look at some of the most painful seasons, events of their life and say, I would never wanna do that again, but I wouldn't trade that because I came to know God so much more deeply through that situation. 
We come to know God personally in our pain. And so it's, it's actually a positive thing when we come to God our Father croaking and saying, God, I don't even know what to say, but I'm just calling on you as my Father. And God receives us as a loving Father. And, and let me just say something about this because we're coming up on Father's Day next week. For some of you, you that doesn't bring up a positive picture, the, the idea of calling on God as your father. Some of you don't have a reference point for an Abba kind of figure because your, your father wasn't that to you. And so you have a hard time picturing God as loving because you didn't experience a loving father yourself. Can I, can I just encourage you with this? Please don't let your earthly father shape your view of your heavenly father. Let your heavenly Father come to shape your view of what a father is meant to be. Your earthly father, no matter how good they were, fell short in some kind of ways. And some of them fell short in all kinds of ways. And some of you don't even know who your fathers are. And so you can't try to fit God into that space. God's too big to fit in that space. We look to him and we learn from him. This is what a father was meant to be. And we as fathers hopefully learn from him and say, I wanna be more like you as a dad. I'm gonna fall short. And so every one of us needs the direct connection with our heavenly father. Let me say one more thing about this because in the spirit of offending people today. Some of you are probably offended because it says that we are adopted, given the, the spirit of adoption as sons. What about daughters? You know, is anybody, is anybody wondering that? Well, let me, if, if you are, okay, go, go with me for a moment to first century culture and understand that to be adopted as a son in first century culture culture meant that you were then given all the status, all the rights, all the privileges of inheritance as a son that was born into the family. In first century culture, a daughter didn't receive the same amount of inheritance, didn't receive those full rights and those full benefits, okay? I didn't make that up. Paul didn't make that up but Paul is referencing something that they would have been familiar with. And so what this means is, whoever you are, whatever your current status is, whatever your gender is, male or female, you get to enjoy the status of an adopted child into God's family who has all the rights and privileges and inheritance in store for you. And We'll take just a moment here to read verses 16 and 17 because they touch on this. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Pause there for just a second and imagine that what Jesus is entitled to as the perfect and holy son of God, what he is entitled to, we are fellow heirs. We are made fellow heirs with him. 
It's mind-blowing. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We'll talk more about the suffering next week. But to be glorified with him is our destiny. Our destiny is to enjoy the status that Jesus enjoys. This is grace. This is the definition of grace. You and I do not deserve that. But he has made it available to us. And I need to stop. We need, you and I need reconditioning because we've been conditioned into a very broken and imperfect world and some of the ways that we respond to life are not what God intended for us. So we need to be reconditioned. And the practices, the ways that we can cooperate with God in being reconditioned is to kill like a soldier and then to cry out like a son. It's both. It's not either. Some of you are gonna gravitate towards one or the other more. It's both. Let me give you a biblical example of somebody who did both really well. David. Okay, so you can go back and you can read Psalms and you can see him crying out, snot coming out. I mean, just gut level real. But Talk about who was a mightier soldier as a human being than, than David. He balances both of those. A man after God's own heart, great model of this for us. So when your familiar temptation comes back to you this, this week, whether that's fear, ego, worry, whatever that happens to be, then you need to engage in killing that like a soldier would. Going after, go after what's killing you before it kills you. And when your world is shaken, cry out like a son. Cry out to your heavenly father. Go, here, here's something that may be new for some of you. Cry out to him first. Some of us may be conditioned to go to somebody first someone that we love and respect and who comforts us and cares for us. That's good, we, we need that support. But go to your heavenly father first and cry out to him. Remember Pastor Joseph, okay, we opened up with him and his situation conditioned as a killing machine. Pastor Joseph came to faith in Christ on April 26th, 1989. God began a reconditioning work in his life. 20 years later to the day, April 26th, 2009, he was ordained as a pastor. And God continues the reconditioning work in his life because he's walking with the Spirit each day to the point where you got to hear from him last week and he's leading a church through incredible adversity, God wants to do that kind of reconditioning work in you and me. He's calling us to cooperate with him in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work in us. There's a work in us that only you can do. And so we, we thank you for the justifying work that Jesus has done that, that we could never do for ourselves. But Lord, now as we engage in the sanctifying work, Lord, that's a cooperation between uh, you and us. Lord, may we never try to do it on our own. May we never just try to obey the law in our own self-will and strength, but Lord, may we cooperate with you 
And Lord, give us the courage. Lord, many of us who take our sin way too lightly and tolerate way too much in our lives, may we see from your word your call to kill that, kill it, to put it to death so that we may truly live. And may we not be too proud, Lord. May we be humbled before you to cry out to you like a son, to bring our deepest pain to you so that you can heal it. It's by your wounds, Jesus, that we are healed. We thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen.